Hi, welcome to another episode of What's Up with DJ. My name is DJ. Each week, I bring you topics about current events, career development, holistic living, life hacks, and stories of inspiration and humor. So be sure to subscribe, like, comment, and review the show. Your comments are always encouraged and appreciated. So I like to start each episode with a segment called What's Still Cooking? It gives me a chance to highlight things that I may have watched or read or experienced over the last week that still may be lingering on my mind. So what's still cooking for me? So Michael B. Jordan apologized for some backlash that he received. So it seems like every celebrity has an alcoholic beverage or has partnered with a company that sells, you know, alcoholic beverages. Well, uh, Mary J. Blige has a has a, a couple of wines out there. Um, Usher has partnered with Remy Martin's Konak, Konyak, um, and rapper Nicki Minaj became a part owner of something, I think a, a Moscato called MWX Fusions. Um, and so, uh, so the list goes on and on. So I have a small list of celebrities who own or have partnered and have a brand. So Sean Diddy Combs, uh, he has C-Rock, Baca, I think I'm saying it correctly. Um, Drake has the Virginia Black American Whiskey. George Clooney has a tequila. Justin Timberlake has a tequila. Jay-Z has a cognac. So does Ludacris. Um, 50 Cent has an effing vodka. <laughs> Pitbull has a vodka. Even Dwayne The Rock has a tequila. And Jimmy Brown has a bourbon. Bruno Mars has a rom. So as I mentioned, Mary J. Blige partnered with Marco Fantanelle, the two partner up to create a Savion Blanc and a Pinot Grigio. So that brings us to back to Michael B. Jordan, who would be the newest celebrity to announce he would be launching a forthcoming line of rum. So his rum is called Juve. But on Tuesday, Nicki Minaj, who is Trinidadian, shared a post highlighting the history of Juve and his roots in the Caribbean, also slightly criticizing uh, Jordan's branding for being culturally uh, appropriative. Nikki posted via Twitter, I'm sure Michael B. Jordan didn't intentionally do anything he thought Caribbean people would find offensive, the singer wrote, or well, the rapper wrote. But now that you are aware, change the name and continue to flourish and prosper. <laughs> so that's what Nikki had to say. So, but Juve is an Antillean Creole French term that translates to dawn or, or daybreak. It also refers to the start of carnival in the Caribbean, an annual celebration that originated in Trinidad and Tobago and dates back more than 200 years. The festival originally began with 18th century plantation owners and masters dressing up as enslaved people. After emancipation, the newly freed people took over the festival, mocking the enslavers who once imitated them. Now, Ju Juve is both a celebration of emancipation and Caribbean Caribbean culture. 
with festivals taking place across the Caribbean and internationally, including New York. But Michael B. Jordan has issued an apology and said he plans to change the name. He tweeted, I just want to say on behalf of myself and my partners, our intention was not to offend or hurt a culture we love and respect and hope to celebrate and shine a positive light on. Jordan wrote in a statement posted to his Instagram story, last few days has been a lot of listening, a lot of learning and engaging in countless community conversations. We hear you. I hear you and want to be clear that we are in the process of renaming. We sincerely apologize and look forward to introducing a brand we call, we all can be proud of. So Jordan has not yet said what he plans to rename his brand of rum, but um, I'm looking forward to it. I want to taste some really good rum. <laughs> this year, the West Indian Day Parade celebrating Juve in, in New York will be held on Monday, September 6, 2021, which always take place each Labor Day in Brooklyn. Their procession will officially begin at 11 o'clock a.m. A mom is brokenhearted about her uh, six-year-old son's birthday party where nobody showed up. So um, a mom broke hearts on TikTok when she shared the devastating news that her son was all alone during his own birthday party when literally zero people showed up. In the video on TikTok, user Donners86 said all 22 kids invited to JJ's sixth birthday party were no shows. <laughs> well, kind of sad. I don't know why I'm laughing, but she also shared heartbreaking details that her son was left playing in the park by himself with decorations and cupcakes set up for the party. The mom explained that COVID 19 restrictions had been lifted in her area and that the party was hosted outdoors, so she couldn't understand why no one would show up to JJ's party. So we're sitting at the park for JJ's party, she said. We got everything ready. His party started a half an hour ago. This is what she put on her Instagram. The heartbroken mom said in the voiceover describing the situation, he had literally zero people show up for his birthday. My poor little man. In the video's caption, JJ's mom's wrote, sorry, the video is shaky. I am so upset for this poor guy. He deserves better. He's amazing. Um, but since the posting of the video on June 20th, it has amassed more than 543,000 likes and more than 20,000 comments with many viewers sending birthday wishes, sharing similar situations that happened to them or their children and offering to send JJ gifts. However, the mom has refused to give, saying that the offers are greatly appreciated, but asked individuals to rather give those uh, donated gifts to charity. She later went on live on TikTok hosting a virtual birthday party for JJ, where almost 30,000 viewers joined at some point. Although JJ and his mom were in better spirits after all the support that isn't always the case. But my feelings towards it is, 
you know, is this the case of um, people just not showing up or this poor planning? Because um, if no one shows up, it probably means that they didn't know about it. Was this a last minute uh, party? Or maybe people just don't like you, like like you, the mother, and possibly because they don't like you as a person, they just decided not to show up. So, you know, there's some reasons behind if you invite 22 kids, I'm assuming that you probably send out invitations to um, 22 or more parents. And if no one shows up, then it could be it's you. I don't know. Our guest this week is Jacqueline F. Fuller, a communications professional and freelance writer for the Washington Informer newspaper covering religious news in the African-American community. Jacqueline also is a um, is an alumnus of Marymount University with a degree in communications. In 2016, she was acknowledged by the Interfaith Conference of Metropolitan Washington as an emerging leader for her work in religious communications. She has worked for various nonprofit organizations in Washington, D.C., and a member of numerous professional and community organizations who include Zeta Phi Beta Sorority Incorporated, National Association of Black Journalists, Society of Professional Journalists, and Religious Communicators Council, and served as their national president from 2019 through 2021. Thank you, Jacqueline, for joining me on the show. Mm -hmm. um, so back to critical race theory. So if you haven't heard about critical race theory, it's it's um, it's a like an like academic term that really focus on the misappropriation, um, how white conservatives um, are really don't have a, a, a really concept of African-American history, of U.S. history, which includes African-Americans. And they look at um, uh, critical race theory, like it takes um, a look at U.S. history through a, a critical racial lens. And what um, I think one of the proponents of critical race theory was the 1619 project, which um, we talked about on, the, on one of another show. Um, and that really focused on reframing the country's history by placing the consequences of slavery and the contributions of black Americans around the narrative of U.S. history. So that's what that's all critical race theory really looks at. Now, it does put a lot of focus on race and racism and the racial lens, but it's not saying that we're going to throw all the history books out and now say, hey, we're going to um, teach the only thing is critical is is critical race theory. Like, okay, we're going to throw the history book out and just say, hey, we're going to focus on this critical race. That's not what critical race theory does. It just says that this is something that we want to take time out to cover the African-American experience. And that is through a racial lens. That's what we're going to do. And that does um, cause some fear in people. Um, and I think that really the truth of the matter is, is that the people who fear critical race theory the most don't even know what it really is. Exactly. And that's and that's been even shown in in. in there's examples you could pull up in news media about people mm -hmm. who are protesting critical race theory and then the people who ask, 
the individuals or their rep their local representatives. Well, what does it mean? And then they couldn't even they can't even tell you because they didn't know because all they do is hear is again they hear from what other people are saying around them without mm -hmm. asking the questions and saying I need to find out this on my own. Yeah, no, let me research it and find out because you know Republicans are really demonized demonizing critical uh, race theory. And unfortunately, we live in a soundbite um, world where all we hear is just, you know, the, the the leading, what leads up to a story. And then we go with and run with that, you know, without actually digging in and finding out, okay, what is that about? And what is that really, what does that really mean? We won't do that. So mm -hmm. that's why a lot of people are so intimidated by critical race theory, because they believe that it's something else other than what it is. And it's unfortunate that you have to really dig so deep just to find out what critical race theory is. It's just simply saying, hey, let's look at U.S. history from an African-American perspective. Exactly. Let's look at it to educate ourselves about the experiences of U.S. history through the eyes of an African-American person being a descendant of slaves. Uh -huh. So that's it, you know, and yeah. I don't find that intimidating at all, even for a white person. I think for most people, they really understood that they wouldn't see that intimidating as at, at all. It's just like watching a a Martin Luther King movie or watching movies that um, have been big hits in Hollywood, but looking at it from an African-American experience. Right. That's not intimidating. But some people, yeah. it's fear and it is intimidating. But think about even how the story of Martin Luther King is told, which think about it. Do you really know about Martin Luther King the last few years of his life? You get that version in schools. You don't get that version in school. Oh, no, you definitely get the version of school. You get the 1963 version. You don't get the um, mm -hmm. 66, 67, 68 version. And right. even that's only come to light recently. So it's very interesting when people talk about, you know, they use the, they like to use Martin, they use the 63 quotes from his speech, I Have a Dream. And I'm like, mm -hmm. he had really powerful speeches throughout his life, but that seems to right. be the selective speech for the majority. But if you really listen to like the NBC News interview he did about, you know, the concern he had about leading black people into burning, into a burning house. I mean, that's really deep. And it's, it's, it was like, it was a, it was a, a level of, like even you can just tell like uh, it was like an awakening when you were listening mm -hmm. to him talk and I said well how about playing that interview on April 4th because because <laughs> because right. things like that is what led up to unfortunately his demise right but the poor peach the poor people's initiative um uh, was one of the things that he was working on yeah, um, what do you say about the whole reparations he get, he really gives a good like he also oh, gave a, like speech about it and I'm probably at the very same time that America refused to give the Negro any land, through an act of Congress, our government was giving away millions of acres of land in the West and the Midwest, which meant that it was willing to undergird its white peasants from Europe with an economic floor. But not only did they give the land, they built land-grant colleges with government money to teach them how to farm. Not only that, they provided county agents to further their expertise in farming. Not only that, they provided low interest rates in order that they could mechanize their farm. Not only that,
Today, many of these people are receiving millions of dollars in federal subsidies not to farm, and they are the very people telling the black man that he ought to lift himself by his own bootstraps. Now, this is what we are faced with, and this is a reality. Now, when we come to Washington in this campaign, we are coming to get our check. Yo, when he, he's yeah. talking about reparations and about, you know, when people say African-Americans need to pull themselves up by the bootstraps, but you haven't even been given a boot. Right. You know, and then my, my new favorite one, cut the check. <laughs> cut the check. <laughs> I'm going to start saying when people talk, I have a dream and content of character. I'm going to say, yeah, and make sure you also say cut the check. They're not focusing on the real issue in terms of, you know, his what he was trying to um, to help african-americans with and try to help white people understand that was looked over it's now trying to take his story and the things that he tries to teach to undermine the conversation exactly exactly you know, african-americans have so much hope for the united states they really i mean african-americans have they really are the vision of the United States. They really are. And the reason why I say that they are the vision for United States, because sometimes I've lost so much hope in terms of what my expectations are for America. So some things doesn't surprise me, like giving us the Juneteenth off and not having the conversation about slavery. I don't, I'm like, okay, because I just, my expectations are so low. And yeah, I was going to say that and I feel like that's kind of like I, I got to find the other book about the post-traumatic slave syndrome. I mm -hmm. think because black people going back to slavery, we're so used to getting like the crumbs, the leftovers, the last mm -hmm. of the last that mm -hmm. it, it shows up even today. Like, well, we can give you the big you know, the big chicken, you know, we can give the you the full meal. We'll give you the best, but we'll give you the wing. <laughs> we'll give you the wing, we'll give you the biscuit, and we celebrate that, and that's something mm -hmm. I think that carried over from slavery. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And the millennials, you know, I don't know how old the girl was who wrote that um, that article that you sent me, the first one, but I would suspect she's a millennial because it's like, this is all that we get, you know, this is all. You know, this is not enough. This is not what I was expecting. I was expecting this way more than asked. this. You know, it's one of those things. It's like, these are the things that I ask. Oh, these are the things I am demanding based on the injustices. And you still decide you're going to do it your way. Mm -hmm. So there's always this thing. And I get so concerned about Black people with the hope thing is that you have to start really looking at things for what it is. And then mm -hmm. figure out your strategies to counter that. Or otherwise, it's gonna you're gonna still keep getting these little crumbs and things thrown at you. Mm -hmm. um, to me, the holiday it's like this is how I feel. It was, the holiday was always there, and people were celebrating it anyway. And mm -hmm. some states already made it a holiday, mm -hmm. a holiday prior to the government. It just shows again how the federal government is, is, is so behind. Yeah, it thinks it's relevant, but it's behind. So it's mm -hmm. just like Juneteenth, whatever. And I really think that with things happen with the economy and the things that went on last year. And I, I think they did notice probably, you probably have some really good Juneteenth, you know, profits. And with black people spending, we spend, you know, trillions of dollars into this economy 
Mm-hmm. That's a they figure it out. That's the way to it's gonna be a way to make money. And then look at it, it's it's falling on a three-day weekend. Everybody's gonna be running out looking for Juneteenth things. So and, and totally forgotten what it's really about. Like so you're saying, so I like what you're saying because you're saying that what I you already can see this coming that Juneteenth is gonna be not about let's discuss slavery from a perspective that's healing. But let's go out and get some get some real black shopping. It's just like it's like Black Friday part two, you know. So I so I definitely feel you on that. That this is not about unanimously approving this date mm-hmm. through healing, but approving this because we can see the capitalistic it's, benefits exactly, from it. Exactly, exactly. Because I would if it would have been approached that way, as this would have been the stepping stone to start the healing and reconciliation process, I would have been more sold on the idea of this being a holiday. But it was just kind of like random. It was like, hey, we're going to make it a holiday. And you're like, where did that come from? Right. What? And I think a lot of it still ties into a lot of the um, the frustration Black people had about not getting bills passed. It's like the Asian, this is, we had this anti-Asian hate, anti-hate mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. that, you know, the Asian, that the Asian community now has in their favor. Mm-hmm. Other groups have similar bills, but we couldn't even get a link, the anti-lynching bill passed. And that really speaks a lot about the state of the country. It's like you really haven't really a lot of things in this country hasn't changed. It's a we have a serious illusion of inclusion problem here in this country. And it shows up in education. It shows up in our banking. It shows up even in how we celebrate holidays. Mm-hmm. And I'm hoping that Af- African-Americans um and obviously some are they're saying wait a second i'm throwing my hand up in the air and saying hey meaning i'm waving my hand saying i'm not letting you get away with not having this conversation i'm not allowing you not to just throw this conversation about about reparations this conversation about reforming the law enforcement our judicial system um how we fund the police i'm not allowing you to throw this under the rug and think that I'm going to go out and buy a new, you know, handbag because you made a new holiday. There's something's happening in this country that even our our elected officials know there is a, it's a shift that's happening. So they have to continue to do things to keep folks in to make sure you still buy the things they're doing politically. So mm-hmm. the first thing was um, votes. <laughs> like okay, we want to make because when yeah. that when because black people were like I you know, there were black people saying I'm done with voting for you know the Democrats and Republicans because of you know it's like again everybody else is getting a bill passed and we're not and it, you know, people are pissed they're like you know get away from this political system don't support either party blah 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 and then again here's now this um, holiday pops up and you're kind of mm. just like. But where is this? This is this is very random. It's just, mm. you know, it not like, you know, when Martin, my, it was interesting. I asked my dad, I said, Dad, when um what was going on, you know, before the Martin Luther King holiday, what were black people doing? He told me, he said they were calling out from work. He said they weren't coming in from his experience, he said they weren't going to work on that day. Mm-hmm, so I mm-hmm. thought that was really interesting that um <laughs> maybe that's one of the reasons why it became a holiday, because they started to see how it affects, you know, their the work environment. If, if mm-hmm. you have a certain group of people that's taken off this one particular day in the year, 
some things are getting done when that happens. Mm -hmm. And that also was a similar situation. I remember with the Million Man March, um, it was a one of the local news stations were interviewing, I'm going to say they were interviewing white people. And I remember this white lady was saying, well, why did they have to do it on this day? Why couldn't they do it on a weekend? So mm -hmm. it goes already to show you, you're, you're not understanding why the men are doing this because they need to, you know, they need to center themselves and be refocused. And this is something that they need to do to uplift their community. You're more concerned about being inconvenienced because they're doing that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. So you, yeah. You, you have, so people, that's, and that's why in politics, particularly, I just, because this is all political too, this is why quid pro quo is so important. There is, trust me, those people on the Hill, they're getting something out of it because this is a holiday. This isn't something they woke up one day and said, this is the right thing to do. I want to know, okay, we had this holiday that just now has been passed and we can't get any other race-related legislation passed. What are you members of Congress are getting out of it? Yeah, well, that's the thing that I'm, that I'm, that I, that's what my antenna went up where, when I was saying that, you know, when it said unanimously, um, approved by the Senate and then ultimately, you know, it went through the house and, and signed by Biden, um, it, it just raised some red flags for me because I'm like, what, what, what is this? What's the conversation around this? Right. And, um, and, you know, and there's been some good conversations. I mean, I saw an interview with Tina, um, Tina knows Lawson, you know, Beyonce's mother. And I'll probably put that into the, um, into the, the audio as well. Um, about, cause she's actually was raised in Galveston, Galveston, Texas. When I was a child, Ever since I can remember, we always celebrated Juneteenth. Um, it was a day that you went to the beach. A lot of people don't realize that Galveston is an island. And uh, so everything centered around the beach and that there were parades. And when I got older, I was able to go to Houston <clears throat> to uh, Emancipation Park, and they had big, beautiful parades there. So we've always celebrated. It's always been a very important holiday. and. Uh, you know, all of uh, the Black Americans there celebrate that holiday. And that, you know, I was surprised when I moved to California because I wanted to have a Juneteenth celebration. And my friends were not aware that we found out two years later uh, about the, the, uh, in, uh, the um, Emancipation Proclamation that Lincoln had signed. And General Granger came to Texas and, and told the slaves there, the enslaved people, and uh, <clears throat> there's a lot of history that's kind of been hidden. And a big part of that is that there were, by 19, uh, 1866, there were 19,000 Black soldiers that fought for our freedom as well. And I think that's important for us to know uh, because we've been told differently. And uh, it's just one more thing of how the vital part that we played in the history of this country. And, helping to build this country has been changed. And I think that everyone needs to know the truth and they need to uh, to know the history, the actual history of that day. I mean, this is not the only history that's been either overlooked or changed and rewritten. Um, you know, there are Tulsa, Oklahoma, Rosewood, Manhattan Beach, this, uh, the histories have always been kind of like in the dark. And so unless you just really got out there and researched, you really didn't know the true history 
of the role that we played and how uh, there have been a lot of injustices and uh, things that have gone on. And I think this kind of starts to shine a light on those things and that we should have pride and um, just, you know, feel very honored by that. And so I was careful to impart that message to my children as well, to surround them with African-American uh, art and images that they didn't obviously see on TV or around as much as they should have. And so I think that's up to us parents to impart that knowledge to our children and pass it on. And my kids celebrate the 19th of June. They always have and they always will. And, um, you know, it's very important. Um, so it's it's like you can go and do what you want to do in terms of making it a holiday, but we've been celebrating this all along, you right. know. So, um, so I, I get it, but I just, I'm, I'm hoping that we continue to push the effort and like, we, we need to have, we need to get to the healing and reconciliation and exactly. do not think for a second that this thing that you've done in, in terms of approving this holiday is going to satisfy the need for this reconciliation and uh -huh. and this healing and this conversation that needs to be had across all races about what happened on this land. Right. So in my effort to bring inspiration, hope, and humor, we've come to the bright side of life segment of the show. And I want to share a short poem, which uh, is entitled, Seen. Everyone wants to be seen, yes seen not the external but to be seen from within the soul so we adorn ourselves in vivid colors singing dancing fighting cursing inspiring hoping that the pureness of the soul within will be seen though countless disappointments and testimonies we may begin to understand it is the shedding of these things that reveals. So that's our show this week. I'm so happy you stayed to the end. Please join me next week for another episode. I'd like to thank Jacqueline F. Fuller for joining me these last two weeks to discuss Juneteenth. I'm looking forward to having her as a guest in the future. I'll leave a link to her podcast in the description. In the meantime, you can stay in contact with me by emailing dj at djcareercoach.com, dj at djcareercoach.com. I will leave links to my social media in the description, but remember to subscribe, like, comment, and review. Until next week, bye.